Thank you, Brother Crawford. I'd like to read that song. Do you really want revival? Do you really want revival? Do you want God's power? Do you want his spirit to control your life this hour? Oh, repent to Jesus. Seek his face and humbly pray. Do you really want revival? Are you willing to obey? Dr. Jim Benny uh, said to me, I want you to speak on revival on the nights that I'm not here and they don't have a missionary or something scheduled. And, uh, he brought me over to his house and he um, went through the schedule. And I think maybe I have five or six times uh, that I could speak on revival. But I'm going to correct something that he said. I don't know if that's always uh, safe to correct the pastor. But uh, he made a statement Sunday that we were going to hear the one of America's foremost leading authorities on revival. And I thought, who in the world is he bringing in? <laughs> I thought, I cannot believe that he said, so I tackled him whenever uh, we went to lunch. And I said, what in the world are you trying to do? I am not a leading authority on revival. I have been a student of revival for 40, 35 or 40 years. And my teacher was Dr. Ian Paisley. I went to Ireland uh, in the um, early 70s uh, in a time of great trouble. And oh, what prayer meetings that they had in um, Ulster. My, the prayer meetings. I was going to preach in Ballymena one night, and I'll never forget it. I was a little late. And um, I went into an auditorium about uh, almost half this big. It was packed out. And I thought I was late for service, and I sat in the back of the row, and they were praying. And it was the prayer meeting before the service. And I guess there was three or four hundred there praying for the service. And after they got through praying, well, we went and had the service. And I learned something. I've never gone to Ulster. I've been to the Easter Convention uh, 28 times. And I have never left unless, number one, I had a greater desire to study the Word of God. Number two... I had a greater burden for revival. Number three, I always loved the Lord Jesus more dearly. Being around my friend and being around the preaching and the teaching and especially the prayer meetings. What I want to do, I don't know how many times, and I want to thank uh, Brother Benny and uh, Brother uh, Rob and and those that made it possible for me to have this opportunity. And by the way, pray for my wife. She has that old uh, 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 sciatic nerve, and uh, uh, I didn't beat her up. She just uh, had a sciatic nerve, and it's uh, causing her probably can't be here tonight. But I am one that understood that I am not an expert on revival. I found out uh, an expert is uh, a, a drip under pressure. And uh, I, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a fire, I'm not a man outstanding in the field of revival. 
uh, found out that a man outstanding in the field is a farmer. So uh, I am in no way uh, an expert. I'm not outstanding. I just have a burden for revival. And God sent uh, just mercy drops, just uh, a mercy drop in 1992. And we were beneficiaries. I even hesitate to talk about it because I don't want to in any way uh, try to, to sneak in and steal some of the glory because uh, it went on without me. I was still in meetings and, and the, uh, the uh, revival went on. And God sent a mighty irresistible wave that hit the beach in 1992. Dr. Ian Paisley was preaching and uh, we had two speakers that night. I'll never forget it. November the 2nd, and Dr. Paisley was preaching, and the Spirit of God said to me, he preached on the cross, and the, the, I just felt so prompted inside that that's for enough. And I said, we're not going to have any more preaching, and uh, you want to come to the cross, come. And there's about 20 people that came running down the aisle and they uh, got saved. And then the next day, uh, that uh, next, uh, that was on Saturday night, the next day there was probably 200. And then it began, it, it started. Uh, in our school, over 70 uh, were saved. I went through my files uh, this week. And as I went through the files, I was amazed to see, uh, once again, I chronicle, I called Dr. Bob, uh, the chancellor, and I called uh, Dr. Paisley, and I called uh, Dr. Seitler and others that I knew was familiar with revival. And I said, what should I do? I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Uh, and I feel like um, I need to lay flat on my face and not look up. I don't know what to do. Please help me. And uh, Dr. Paisley gave me some great advice, and Dr. Bob Jr., and then uh, Dr. Seitler said, stay out of God's way and let God run it. But as I began to, uh, to see what God was doing, I was so afraid to open my mouth, afraid that uh, I would offend the blessed Spirit of God. All I can say is that revival uh, came to Tabernacle Baptist Church, not because of me, but in spite of me. I had preached for almost seven years on revival on the Sunday night and other times, and I had such a hunger after going to Ireland and visiting all the places and reading all the books and maybe have 250 books on revival. And if you're looking for something this week or looking for something from me that is sensational, you, you'll not find it. I'm not, uh, revival is not something that is uh, sensational and appear to the senses. Uh, you're, uh, we are, we have allowed the charismatics to take uh, uh, and prostitute uh, the, uh, uh, the word revival. We have let them take and, and abdicate uh, uh, and the uh, authority of the blessed Holy Spirit. And we many times are afraid to put up a guard when you start talking about revival. So, uh, uh, when I think about revival, I, my heart is so hungry and so burdened uh, for a real, genuine revival. I went through my notes and I began to look for definitions of revival. D definitions. It's like Saul's armor on David. They just don't fit. I mean, you, you can put all kinds of definitions. And I think, uh, I really think I had about 30 different definitions, I, and I have them all, and I'm not going to give you the definition, all 30 definitions. Uh, but my, the best definition that I have come up with, uh, and I'm not going to, you start giving definitions, you'll end up defining revival. Definition is a demonstration of the presence of God in the life of a believer. I believe that the Spirit of God, I believe in the indwelling of the Spirit of God when you get saved. I believe in the infilling. One is for salvation and one is for service. But I also believe that there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God for revival. I think God anoints His servants with the Holy Spirit. 
And therefore, I want to pray and ask God to give us uh, his, the essence of his power before we bring uh, this message. Blessed Spirit of God, thou hast promised the Holy Spirit to those that ask thee. And I ask thee by faith. And Lord, you said you'd give the Holy Spirit to those uh, that obey thee. And Lord, we need the blessed Spirit of God uh, tonight. Now, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to take out a pencil and a, a piece of paper or in the margin of your Bible. And I would like to give you three verses that we'll be sp uh, talking about. And um, uh, uh, this uh, uh, brother, uh, Benny, called me from um, Philadelphia at the airport. And um, I said, Brother Benny, uh, I had a, God spoke to my heart this morning in my devotions. I made a commitment. Uh, to meet with my Lord every morning at five o'clock. That means you got to go to bed early uh, and get up early. So I was, uh, I was uh, uh, in my study this morning at five o'clock, and here's the verse that God gave me. Jer uh, uh, it's in uh, Jeremiah. And uh, turn to Jeremiah, and we will, we will use one of these verses uh, for our... Um, I know that's in the Old Testament here. I thought I had it, Mark. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah, Jer Isaiah, Jeremiah, and it's in um, uh, 29. And listen to what he said. And the, in Isaiah 29, Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart, with all your heart. And on the phone, Brother Benny said, well, Brother Rod, do you know what verse God gave me this morning in my devotions? I said, I have no idea. He said, Jeremiah chapter uh, 29 and in verses uh, 12 through 13. Well, I said, isn't that just like the Lord? So let's read that one more time. Then shall you call upon me. Now that's prayer. There'll be no revival if God's people doesn't pray. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me. When ye shall search for me with all your hearts. Now, here's another verse that I want us to dwell upon. Habakkuk. I was in Northern Ireland, and I said, if you have your Bible, would you please turn to Habakkuk? They sat there, and they looked at me like I was a dummy. Habakkuk. They thought I was talking about something in the Procopher. I don't know. And they looked at each other and said, what? What did he say? What did he say? And all of a sudden, Dr. Paisley said, Habakkuk, Rod Habakkuk. We pronounce that Habakkuk. You will never learn English unless you let us teach you. It's Habakkuk. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Habakkuk. Habakkuk uh, 3, a prayer of Habakkuk. The prophet says, Shignoyoff, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O oh Lord, revile thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years make known, remember, in, in wrath, remember mercy. And there's this great series of messages on, in the midst of judgment, God remembers mercy. And then the third verse that God's laid on my heart is the, uh, I believe probably one of the, uh, greatest verses on revival, and that is in Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, and in verse, uh, Chronicles 7, verse 14. Second Chronicles 7 and in verse uh, 14. If my people, say revival is for God's people. Revival is not for unsaved people. That's a byproduct. There's a difference in revival and evangelism, and we need to understand that. 
Revival is for God's people. That word revive means the flame is just about gone out. It's just smoldering, and it means to be stirred and brought back to a flame. It's used 16 times in the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament word, only used two times in the New Testament. But if my people, that's God's people, they belong to Him. If my people, and notice who these special people are, people who are called by my name, by His name, people who exemplify His character and His nature, who look like him and act like him, who know him, who understand him. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. You see, most of us don't think we need revival. Most of us think somebody else needs revival, but, you know, I don't need revival. I have my devotions every day. I read my Bible. I pray. I pass out gospel tracts. And I go through all of the uh, religious, uh, 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 religious uh, uh, gymnastics. I go through everything. I don't need revival. Most of us don't realize. But look what he says. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, humble themselves. You'll never humble yourself until you see the glory of God, until you see the greatness of God. Then you begin to see yourself for who you really are. I'll say more about that later. And do what? Shall humble themselves and pray. 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 I got on my computer today and I took up all the times that my Lord prayed. I looked up at all the times that he prayed all night long. I looked up the times that all the men prayed all night long. Before he chose the twelve, he prayed all night long. Now, if he needed to do that, and he was God in the flesh, don't you think we need to pray? He prayed. My people shall pray and do what? Seek my face. I simply think that is seeking the glory of God. Seek my face, because in the face of Jesus Christ is the glory of God. In any quote, unquote, revival that glorifies the flesh or glorifies man is not of God. See, we're looking for something sensational because we want something to appear to the senses. But revival seeks the glory of God. Listen to what he says. I want to preach on this, but the, uh, that's where my sermon is. Seek my face and turn from his wicked ways. Repent. Confess our sins. Oh, you say, I don't, Brother Rod, I'll have you to know that I'm a charter member of Faith Baptist Church. I'll have you to know that I've preached and I've prayed and I've, and I've witnessed. Hey, Brother Rod, you don't have, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you, you get alone with God every morning and ask him to turn the church light of the word of God upon your heart and let, let, uh, uh, let you see your heart as he sees your heart and put your finger on anything, attitude, actions, anything in my life, Lord, that's not right. You'd be surprised at the people I've had to go to because I have said something that wasn't just exactly right. I have said something that wasn't edifying. I have couldn't keep my big mouth shut. And I had to go get them right because I had talked about them. And I didn't realize, you know, you just put things off. Oh, well, everybody does that. But, oh, listen, when you get down and you're starting to ask the Holy Spirit to clean you and scrub you up real good, and you're wanting, to, you're wanting to know Him better, and you want to know Him more, and you want His blessing for your life, and He starts putting His finger. He'll put His finger on it. And listen to what He said. Shall humble himself and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked's ways. Then will I hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, mine eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayers that is made 
in this place. Of course, you know, this is the dedication of the, uh, the, uh, the uh, temple of Solomon. And as the temple of Solomon was being dedicated for, the, uh, for God to come down and dwell within the temple, as he was dedicating all the uh, animals were slain, all the preparation was being made, and the God, the triune God, was getting ready to come down and dwell within the temple. A hundred and twenty. The Bible says there was a hundred and twenty thousand sheep that were slain. There was twenty and two thousand oxen that were slain. And there was a hundred and twenty priests playing the trumpets to inaugurate the temple. And as I read that, I thought, oh my, there was 120 in the upper room getting ready for the inauguration of the Holy Spirit to come and to dwell in the temple of the redeemed who had been bought with the precious blood of Christ. And then the Spirit reminded me, wait a minute. There was over 500 that saw him after his resurrection. Where were the 380? But 120 showed up for prayer meeting. And I'll say a little bit more about that later. But as I began uh, to study, I thought, Lord, my heart and soul is dry. I prayed for seven years. I preached for seven years at Tabernacle and acquainted my people with every revival in the Old Testament. And the book of Judges is just one revival after another, maybe one revival after another. All the great revivals in the Old Testament. And the book of Acts is a chronicle on revivals. You see, we have, I believe it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And he is the one that uses the channel of the apostles to be witnesses unto him. And that's what he expects of us. Oh, you say, Peter preached a great sermon on the day of Pentecost, and boy, we get all hung up, uh, and, and we, we magnify that sermon. And it was a great sermon. It was a great sermon. But I think we forget there was 120 passing out gospel tracts while he was preaching. I think we forget that there was 120 who were filled with the Holy Spirit who was out witnessing among the crowds who had the power of God in their life and 3,000 souls were saved. And I'm going to tell you something. The New Testament church did not have a prayer meeting. It was a prayer meeting. They all assembled together in the upper room. They all continued in one accord, Acts 4, 2. Prayer. Oh, if we don't pray and we don't get a hold of God and we don't ask God to search us, we'll not have a breath of heaven to come upon this place. I have my own definition of revival, and I believe revival is simply a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. You see, Revival, as Jonathan Edwards said, in God's great redemptive plan throughout history, it has been a history of revival. A high, a low, and God gets a hold of a man or a woman, and God gets a hold of an individual. They pray, pay the price, and believe God, and God sends a deliverer, God sends a, sends a breath of heaven, and there comes revival. Now, I want to talk to you tonight on the prerequisite for revival. I want to talk about you about a thirst for revival. A thirst for revival. A thirst. In the 1930s, 
history records in the southwest Texas, there was a great drought. No rain for months. The ground was barren and not a blade of grass. The earth cracked open. And it was called the dust bowl. Dust bowl. Not a blade of grass on the farmlands. The grass was baked green. No crops. The crops had withered up and looked like fodder. Water holes had dried up. Cattle had died. Carcasses lying around where water used to be for the lack of water. The condition was hopeless and helpless and bleak and dry and hot. And death and the stench of death was in the air and the smell of death from the corpse filled the air. And spiritually, I'm afraid that a lot of our souls is a dust bowl. We're dry. And how we need an outpouring of the Spirit of God. You see, in the first century church, the reason they had such power and the reason they took the gospel to all the known world and the reason they took almost to the China, they, they went uh, across the known world like a prairie fire is because they were filled with the Spirit of God. They were obedient. And you know something? We have accepted in our fundamental Bible-believing churches, we have accepted a subnormal Christian life. We have accepted going through church and going through a routine and reading our Bible and having our devotions, paying our tithe, going on sowing and visitation and doing the ritual things and the, the routine things that needs to be done in the church. And we've accepted the subnormal Christian life. And the subnormal Christian life is a life of the flesh and the life of religious ritual. You see, when a person gets filled with the Spirit in the average church, people look upon him as being abnormal instead of normal. So what my burden is, is for us to get to subnormal up to <laughs> the abnormal, the normal, which is a Spirit-filled life in that process I believe, is moving to revival. And then God can out, pour out His Spirit upon us, and then there will be a revival. Living in Greenville, what a wonderful place God has ordained. And I found out something else about revival, that revival always follows biblical orthodoxy and strong doctrinal preaching. Always. Whenever... Great revival broke loose in Martin Luther. Oh, it's the great doctrinal preaching. The justification shall live by faith. Jonathan Edwards, 18 and 40, oh, 17 and 45 to 48. Great doctrinal preaching. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Judgment. Grace. Mercy. Whitfield. Spurgeon. Spurgeon experienced revival. It doesn't take much. Oh, what we're looking at in America today, we have, uh, we have in our seminaries scholarship on ice. Or 
wildfire enthusiasm. But what we need, now listen to this old country mountain preacher, we need knowledge of flame. Any knowledge that doesn't make you fall deeper in love with the Lord Jesus and cause you to want to be more like him is something wrong. All the messages that I'm going to preach is not going to be shouting messages. We need to get down to where we really live. I want to ask you some questions. You believe in the sovereignty of God? Oh, I believe God's sovereign. I believe God's sovereign. He's the supreme ruler of the universe. He is above the highest creatures of the highest. He's subject to none. He is influenced by none. He is absolutely independent. He does as he pleases, and only as he pleases, and always as he pleases. He has a plan. He's working his plan. He will complete his plan. And nothing, nobody uh, can thwart his sovereign purpose and plan. None can stop him. None can hinder him. And God is sovereign, ruler of this great universe, and his plan is perfect. And in his great redemptive plan, he's sovereign. Now, you just wait a minute. I also believe that man's responsible. Somebody said, well, you believe about sovereignty and God's responsibility of man. I said, I believe in both. Well, said, uh, and don't get me in any, I'm not getting into argument with you. I preach in both to the nth degree. I believe that God is sovereign and man is responsible. And if you're going to debate it, you better have, number one, a definition of terms, and number two, a time limit, because you'll never get it solved. And they never, sovereignty of God and responsibility of man, never cross lines. So man's responsible. God created man uh, conditionally. God created man on the condition and put him in the Garden of Eden that he would obey him. Adam, you can eat of all the trees in the Garden of Eden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But don't you eat of that tree. You obey me. And God created Adam on the condition of obedience. Now, I do not understand all there is that, God, uh, that a sovereign God in all of his wisdom and all of his great redemptive purpose has so limited and chosen to do his work in the world through saints who are some way bound up in his purpose uh, that he limits his work to men who are obedient. So you see, God wants to send revival a whole lot worse than you want it. And you're just as close to God as you want to be. And what God's doing, God's sovereign, and man is responsible, and God is looking for a people, a man, who will be obedient that he can work through. God still wants us in revival. He's looking for a man. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Looking for a man whose heart is perfect or mature or completely surrendered to him. God's looking for someone he can work through. A shoe cobbler. William Curry. A shoe salesman. D.L. Moody. God's looking for a man who will be obedient. So God wants to send revival a whole lot more than we want it. The only reason that we don't have revival is because we don't want it badly enough. We are not willing to pay the price. 
We are not willing to pay the price. 380 weren't willing to be obedient and be in the upper room. The 120 was. And we are, will always be in the majority. Well, God's looking for a man. Now, the high revival, the high cost of revival. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall see me and find me. And when ye shall search for me with all of your heart, you see, God is sovereign, man is responsible. God says, uh, give, and it shall be given unto you. Go, and I'll go with you. Pray, and I'll answer thee. Seek, and you shall find. God's looking for obedient people. God's looking for men and women who will be obedient. And I told my wife, I have not been here in Faith Baptist Church but just a few months, and I said, Lenore, the foundation has been laid for God to send revival if God's people will get alone with God and pray. And that's whenever she and I made our covenant with God that we were going to learn to dwell in the secret place of the Most High under the wings of the shadow of the Almighty. And I said, oh God, I want to learn what it is to dwell in the secret place. You say, where is the secret place? It's a secret place. It's a, it's a place that he tells you secrets about his nature and his character of God. Have you ever had someone to say, Brother Rod, I'm going to tell you something I've never told a living soul? And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share it with you. And when we get to that place to where we're completely committed and we want to God, we have a thirst for God. A revival, the initial step in revival is thirsting for God. Not an experience, not some kind of charismatic spasm, not some kind of an emotional uh, frenzy. And I'm not saying there'll not be emotion. I'm saying, but I'm saying, if that's, your ex if that's what you're seeking, you're seeking for the wrong thing. You'll never have revival. So, after God sent revival in Tabernacle, 600 people were saved. And I say this because it was marvelous what God had, had did. This is, was the Lord's doing. It was marvelous in our eyes. We were just beneficiaries of his mercy and his grace, and he did it in spite of us. That's the way I feel. I baptized anywhere from 90 to 100 a Sunday. We could not go to bed. We never got tired winning people to Christ and counseling with people. Young people. And it started with the young people. Young people got on fire for God. And my teachers told me, they, the parents are calling and saying, what's wrong with our kids? They come home and they, we don't have to tell them to do their homework. We don't have to tell them to do the chores. We don't have to tell them. Uh, they're asking us, Mom, can we do, can we help? They're confessing their, their sin uh, to us about their feeling towards us. And they're getting right with us. And the teacher says, we've given out the less demerits than any time we've ever done in the history of the school. I looked out and saw 1,500 people sitting for prayer meeting. The largest crowds we've ever had in the history of the church. The largest love offerings. And these three young men, I don't think I brought the, I will, I will bring it. Three young men who were young men in our school said, we don't want to be remembered for the guys who could put the ball through the hoop. 
we don't want to be remembered for that. They came to my office and said, Pastor Bell, can we make, have an early prayer meeting at 7 o'clock every morning? Give us a room. I said, certainly. And they did. And it grew. It grew. And they started bringing young people. 250 teenagers out on soul winning visitation. And my youth pastor said, I can't get them to stop. They're going down to the, they're going to the mall. They're going to the uh, McDonald place. They were hungry. They were thirsty to see their loved ones saved. They'd run them down and bring them in and get, the, get them saved. <laughs> they had a bonfire, according to Acts 19, 19. I thought what Jim said Sunday. And burned over $10,000 worth of junk. They put out a little paper announcing their prayer meeting every morning and invited others to come and they'd have groups, the people who they were praying for and I got down and looked at it and they would check them off when they get saved. You know something? You know where those three young men are today? They're all in the Lord's work. Two are pastors, one's a missionary. Two graduated from BJU. One graduated from our school. You know what they're remembered for? Not the guys who could put the ball through the hoop. But the guys who meant business with God. Oh, listen. They had a hunger and they had thirst. Now I'm going to ask you some questions and I'm going to make an application. I don't know what time I'm supposed to quit. What time is it? 1.55. Well, this, that says one, that says 1.55. Is that in the morning? <laughs> huh? Or is that how much more time I got? I went across, uh, Dr. Paisley had me to come over and talk to about 75 of his men about the revival. Dr. Paisley came back and observed, and he said, Rod, this is the real thing. And uh, I was so humbled, I was, I, was, I was afraid. So as I traveled, I put out a, a questionnaire. How many of you know we need revival? How many of you know we need revival? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. That's about almost 100%. Number two. How many of you want biblical revival? Raise your hand. Yeah. Number three. How many of you know, how many of you can define biblical revival? Now, it's going to get smaller and smaller. How many of you can confine biblical? Oh, very few. Now it's going to get smaller. How many are you willing to pay the price for biblical revival? Yeah. Okay. So here's something we must have it's an absolute necessity. We need revival. We all want revival, or we say we do, but few can define revival, and, and not many, if any, has experienced real biblical revival. And are we willing to do what is necessary? Are we, and I'm going to use that deliberate word, desperate for revival? During the Civil War, just before the Civil War, this great historian by the name of Thomas McCauley, he died just before the Civil War. He made an interesting statement. Uh, he died and lived about uh, uh, over a century ago. And this is what this historian said about America. Quote, your republic, America, will be fearfully plundered and laid waste by barbarians in the 20th century as the Roman Empire was in the 5th with this difference, that the hunts and the vandals who ravished the Roman Empire came from without, and your hunts and vandals 
will have been engendered within your own country by your own institutions, you will be destroyed. Now, how do I have, how do we get a hunger and a thirst for revival? Here's the headlines in the paper. Revival breaks out at Tabernacle Baptist Church of Virginia Beach, and it gives uh, a chronology. All this chronology is in my book. It's in the bookstore, I think. But how do we get that thirst? Turn with me to Psalm, and I'm closing. I'm going to nail it down, and we're going home. Psalm 32, the prerequisite for revival. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. I want you to underline the word my soul and God. My soul thirsteth. This is a soul thirst, folk, for the living God, not a dead God. Psalm 42, and when shall I come and peer before God? My tears have been my meat day and night. This psalmist, David had such a burden that he lost his appetite. And he, instead of eating, he wept with a burdened heart for God to move. My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say, where is thy God? The world is looking at us and saying, where is thy God? Where is thy God? What kind of influence do we have? Where is your God? And when I remembered these things, the enemy laughing and mocking at me, I poured out my soul in me. What's that, my soul? For I hid none from the multitude. I went to them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept holy days. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I have yet praised him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee in the land of Jordan. of the Hamorites, Hermorites, and the hill of Mizar, deep crieth unto the deep. Now, I want you to notice something about this psalm. The word God and Lord is mentioned in every verse except verse 7. And I think that shows something. What is Deep crieth unto the deep. Deep calleth unto the deep at the noise of the water spouts. All my waves and thy billows have gone over me. The deep cries unto the deep. Here is a man that was, uh, was desperate. He was desperate. Now, I cannot create the thirst in you for God. No man can create the thirst in you for God. But I'm going to tell you, that thirst can be created by God. That thirst is created by God. And as I look at this passage of Scripture, it shows me a man who was desperate, and I want to parallel that with the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit that lives within you can create a thirst for God. There's nothing inside me uh, in my own fleshly nature that would cause me to want a thirst for God. That old carnal nature wants thirst for everything else except God. But the Holy Spirit that lives within me, He creates a thirst. How does He do it? Number one, he does it by studying of the Word of God. 
Make sure, number one, you are saved. Number two, make sure that you have a, 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 a daily Bible study time. I didn't say a daily bread. Now, that may be all right. It may have you some help. I didn't say it, but I'm talking about spending time systematically studying the Word of God. And I'm talking about studying words, and I'm talking about meditating. You meditate upon the passage, and you stop, and you ask yourself, this morning I spent time on one verse, and I said, now, Lord, what are you saying to me? And I took each word, and I began to meditate upon it. I wanted the Word of God to become part of the fiber of my soul. And what are you saying to me? What does that mean to me? And number two, not only do you study, but you have an absolute, complete surrender to do the will of God. You hold back nothing. You say, I'll give you anything. God doesn't want anything. He wants everything. He wants everything. You completely surrender everything. And then you pray. And as you pray, you talk to your Bible. And your Bible talks to you. Oh, it's one thing to have, the, have uh, you be, uh, God be in you, but it's another thing for you to be in God. It's wonderful whenever God begins to speak to you through His Word. And the first thing you know, the Spirit of God says in Romans chapter 8, you know not what to pray for as you ought, but the Spirit of God makes intercession with you with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Puritans call that groaning the bubbling or the rumbling of the soul. The bubbling or the rumbling of the soul. And it began to bubble and to rumble. And there are two eternal beings here in verse 7. Look at them. The deep crieth unto the deep. The first one is God. The deep, unsearchable riches of a triune creator, Elohim, almighty God. And notice it says, and the deep crieth unto the deep. The second deep is the deep of a man's soul where the Holy Spirit dwells. So really, when the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, it was really God after his own heart. However, it takes the surrender of a man who will surrender to the Holy Spirit, and as the Spirit of God starts making the Word of God real to him and start becomes fiber of his soul and becomes a, a, a sweetness and honey to his life, and he, be, he becomes thirsty, and he becomes thirsty and thirsty, and the more he drinks, uh, the more thirsty he becomes. All oh, listen, that uh, artesian well begins to bubble up in his soul, and he has a, a thirst for God. A thirst for God, a hunger. And as he has that thirst, he wants to know more about God. And I don't think he'll be completely satisfied until he wakes in his likeness and he is like him because he wants more. And that spring, he said, he that drinketh of this water uh, shall never thirst again. But wait a minute. God puts an everlasting spring of water in our soul. And he didn't take away our need for thirst. He put that springing well of everlasting water there so that we would drink, drink, and drink. And the more you drink, the more you thirst, and the more you thirst, the more you drink, and the more you hunger, and the more you want to be like Him, and the more you want to obey Him. You see, God never created us for service. He created us for fellowship. And the more we fellowship with Him, are you listening? 
The more we fellowship with Him, the more we know Him, and the more we know Him, the more we love Him, and the more we love Him, the more we obey Him, and the more we obey Him, the more we worship Him, and out of worship comes what? Service. And it's in that order. And that's why the joy of the Lord is our strength. Ask you a question. Do you have a time to get alone with the Lord and study, look up words, and eat the Word and taste of the Lord and see that He is good? And then do you obey it and you want more and more and more and more? That is the first prerequisite for revival. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Desperate. The 120 in the upper room, first of all, were there because they were obedient. Secondly, because they were desperate. They had been given the command to take the gospel into all the world to every creature. Thirdly, is because they just killed the leader. The religious hierarchy had just killed the leader and imprisoned their, their leaders, and they were behind closed doors, and they were desperate. I asked you, are you like this heart panting after a water brook, being chased by dogs, and you've run and run and run, and the little deer is ran, 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 ran to the place to where it was completely exhausted, trying to get away from the dogs, and it's so thirsty, its sides would heave, so thirsty, so thirsty, his knees would buckle, and he'd slide in the dust of a hot Palestinian desert, his nose would push up the dust, and the nostrils from his air from the nostrils would blow up clouds of little dust. And he's trying to make his way to a water spout. And he'd listen to the water trinkling underneath. The bed may have been dry, but oh, he was wanting water so thirsty. He was thirsty for the water. I asked you, and I asked Rod Bell, are you thirsty for the water? Oh, my God. I have tasted a little bit of thy goodness. And it has been both satisfying to me and has made me thirsty for more. And Lord, tonight I am in pain. For my need for more, my conscience is in pain. For my need for more, More grace, more of thee. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh, blessed triune God, I want thee. I long to be filled with thy longing. I thirst to be thirsty. And Lord, there's nothing in my old nature that I that wants thee. And I want to surrender absolutely, completely, and unreservedly every ounce of energy, every drop of blood, every thought with my whole heart, my mind, my emotions, my images, my imagination, my love, my affections, my will to the blessed Holy Spirit. Create a hunger for thyself and satisfy thy longing. Lord, may we have a taste. May that burning, that dry bowl of dust in our soul be filled with the artesian well.
unclog the pipes of worldly desires and give us that thirst and send revival in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our